Well, hello. Welcome back to Dummies on Theology, the one place where the points don't matter, the faces are ugly, but the conversation is real. And we're going to have a real conversation today. Uh, you might know me. Of course you do. I'm the beloved Pastor Chuck, <laughs> the strongest leg kick in the LCMS. Ooh, and I am here with Guy, the IT guy. Say hello, Guy. That's me. Hello. Oh, I thought you would say hello, Guy. Oh, I should have. Hello, Guy. Yes. And I am here with uh, also with Bruce, the faithful sidekick who sets the bar for all other sidekicks. Hello. Oh, yes. <laughs> and on the line with us all the way from hell, uh, no, I mean from Dallas, uh, actually he's outside of Dallas, so we'll give him a break, uh, we have the Reverend Dr. Rance Settle. That's right. We have a guy who's a reverend and a doctor and wants to be on this show. Um it's not speaks. It doesn't speak well for him. Um, <laughs> he serves uh, as a pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He and his wife Leslie. I'm reading his bio for y'all. Uh, have had the privilege of serving congregations in Minnesota, and they got out quickly and went to warmer weather. They went from the oven to the from the freezer to the oven. They have four children, two dogs. Do you still have two rescue turtles? Well, we, we let one go, and uh, that was not my decision, but it wouldn't mind to bring him in the house either. <laughs> <laughs> it never is. Uh, and you're currently serving at Lamb of God, correct? That's correct. And uh, he just wrote his first book. It's one of many, I'm told. It is entitled Wholehearted Welcome in a Brokenhearted World, Rethinking Dinner Tables, Hospitality, and Community, One Welcome at a Time. That's a mouthful. But all you got to do yeah. is search Rance Settle on Amazon. You'll find the book and buy two of them, one to read and one to share. I like that. So, uh, that, but That was well done, Pastor Chuck. Well, you're very welcome. I'm getting good at peddling people's wares, just not my own. Uh, <laughs> but I yeah, saw... You say multiple books. Well, only one is out. The rest are all in my head, jumbled around somewhere, and I don't well, know. <laughs> all you got to do is get those words out on the page. Bread That's rum, right. bread rum, bread rum, or something like that. That's right. Yeah. Well, you you had me at rethinking dinner tables. So um, why don't you just give us? Uh, we just finished an interview recently with John Michael Talbot uh, of the um, contemporary music scene of the '80s, uh, talking about his uh, religious community, his hermitage, and his monastery and rethinking Christian community. Um, why don't, in light of that, because I think that's sort of where you're going at, is how do we as Christians practice community and hospitality uh, and, and invite others into that? Because I think um, ultimately that's where lives are changed, is in community. Uh, and, and, and how do I bring someone into the doors of the church uh, if I don't first bring them to the doors of my own house or my own community? whatever that looks yep. like. Um, I was just telling my congregation last week in Bible class that the number one reason someone still visits a church is because somebody they know invited them. Yep. And so we, exact we can't get past that. So why don't you um, give us this concept of the wholehearted welcome in obviously a brokenhearted world and a brokenhearted 2020. Boy, it, uh, it was a big topic to wrap my head and heart around over all of this. And I think every church you know, wrestles with that. How do we welcome people and how do we bring them in 
uh, to the body of Christ and welcome them with the gospel. But I think sometimes we put the cart before the horse and we forget that Luther wrote the small catechism and dedicated it to the head of the household. And that means it starts at home, not only our uh, faith formation, but also our community formation. And we just get in such a crazy, hurried-up world, man. I mean, as my kids get older, it gets even harder and harder to fight for just that time together. And you're running in you know, six different directions. we got two vehicles and three of us drive, and that makes it real fun. <laughs> so you're having to figure out, you know, okay, how do we timeshare one car so we can uh, be able to function in just all the craziness? And I'm not alone. Just from talking to my congregation, you know, there's so many people that struggle just to be able to sit down and have dinner together. And I think uh, you know, a couple of stats that really just floored me was like 50 years ago, the average meal at a house was about 90 minutes. Wow. And now it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 minutes. And yeah, I was going to say 10. People, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can really, eat a I large just... pizza in 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's just crazy how quick we go, and Man. and not only that, but when you drill down into that, a lot of people say, "Well, yeah, my meal is this long, but I don't even eat with anybody." Mm. And I think that really blew me away, and I really made it real last year for me when our youth director, and she's amazing, she planned a, a thing called Friendsgiving, and uh, during the season of Thanksgiving on our Wednesday night youth our kids all got together they were supposed to invite one friend and bring something to share and you know we we're all worried what they were going to bring and they ended up just making most of it with their families and and brought it over and this one kid came up to me and he said what do i do and i said well what do you mean he said well i've got this bucket of kentucky fried chicken but what do i do next we never eat together at the house uh, i don't even know you know what wow. to do and that was pretty sobering to think that there's entire generations probably yeah. that are out there in our Hurry up social media, instant gratification world that the thought of pausing, turning off your phones and plugging into your family at a meal is just something that doesn't happen. Uh, something definitely that we need to focus on some more and building community really begins with the family God has given us first and then our church family and then our community. Uh, and that is an order that we kind of uh, got out of whack over the years. So it definitely wasn't how the early church was. So we're just the community. We're, 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 what I'm hearing you say is the church becomes a reflection of our own personal families. And so the dysfunction that's displayed in our own busyness and our own lack of desire to have community with, with, with our own family, and maybe it's not a lack of desire, but even the, the know how or whatever uh, is then reflected in this church community that's fractured and disjointed and. People cannot bear patiently with one another, uh, forgive or love, because it's not really a community. Right. Yeah, it's awful hard to model Christ-like behavior when you're not modeling it in your own home first mm -hmm. and reflecting that in other people. And it's not for lack of desire. I think the, the last survey stats I said showed that like 89% of all families that you survey would ask that uh, we'd love to have more time to eat dinner together. And it's just the knowing how, you know, how do I do that? And you got to be intentional. It's like anything else. It's like when, you know, as, as pastors, when we talk to our parents for confirmation, you got to partner with us. It's not, uh, you know, do the, the kid dump at uh, church so we can have an hour of confirmation together. And then you go have Starbucks and then we'll come, you know, you'll come back and get them. And then we'll see you next week when they can continue their faith journey. 
This is really just us as pastors shoring up what should be going on already at home. And in the same way, the church publicly is a reflection of hopefully the community that's going on already in your home and how closely those two are tied to go together and uh, what that welcoming looks like. Uh, even with uh, looking at just what the word hospitality means, it's changed so much over the past you know, few hundred years of how we moved it from welcoming someone into relationship and formation and community together. And then as the body of Christ, ultimately, uh, we changed it to where it's Martha Stewart and entertaining hmm. and you know, trying to be able to give a, a good, you know, longer burger presentation with all the doilies and all the stuff I hate, uh, <laughs> doing all, all that kind of thing and making it a great presentation. And then that way people go, man, what a great uh, party it was. Now, that's all fun and all well and good, but that's become our substitute for community. And really what it should be is, you know, come on into my house, you know, whenever. Uh, we got this sign hanging over our front door that uh, I totally stole from another lady. Not literally, but stole the idea. <laughs> and um, the idea was, <laughs> anyway, that uh, she says, if you want to see me, you're welcome anytime. If you want to see my house, make an appointment. <laughs> and nice. I, I think that's pretty much the philosophy of what real hospitality is all about. Uh, we ought to be able to just kick aside the dirty laundry and let the kids scream and run somewhere else while we sit around an old pot of coffee and just get to know each other and be able to pray for each other and bear with one another's burdens. Like you said, uh, we've lost some of that. And it's not doing one more thing. It's just holding in to what your normal crazy life already is and finding that time within the craziness to just be able to pause and uh, be around each other. You just can't put enough emphasis on just community around a dinner table together. Well, let me ask you a question. Has, has a culture, why don't we want to be around those who we love the most? I mean, why don't we want to spend time as a family around the dinner table conversing and deepening our relationships with one another? Yeah, I think a big part of that is not that we don't want to. It's just that we've got so many bells and whistles and distractions around us. It's just easier to get engaged in that stuff than it is to do uh, the harder work of being able to be engaged with other people. I, I see this in our younger generation that is very much social media savvy. You know, they're so plugged into that that they will talk to you all day long by text, but if you ask them to put down their <laughs> phone and look you in the eye <laughs> and say two consistent sentences that don't involve a lot of stammering, uh, they really struggle with True. that. that well, they'd rather text each other than in the same room yeah. than talk to mm -hmm. each other. Uh, no kidding. I see it all the time. Yeah, that uh, lack of communication of just the interpersonal stuff uh, is really hard for that younger generation, but we've kind of done it to them. Like, uh, that one uh, podcast that you guys did, and the lady escaped me about social media, uh, that was really hard-hitting about just how dangerous that can be if you just let it run, you know, just however, uh, in a young person's life, it's they get hardwired to, to communicate a certain way. And if they want to be closer to their parents. I don't think I've ever talked to a youth that doesn't want to be. It's just they don't know the, the how. How do I do that? And the only way that uh, you can really start getting things moving the right direction is you got to create the environment first. And sadly, that comes with the guy that you look in the mirror at every day. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I'm modeling that, uh, sitting at the dinner table, checking out Facebook or texting or emailing or mm -hmm. whatever, I send a clear message to my kids that I'm just here to eat. I'm not here to engage you and uh, be a part of your life and my wife's life and all that stuff. And I'm guilty as charged as that as, as any other guy 
uh, my little assistant called me out on it, and I wrote about it. That you know, she just said, "Would would you please talk to me?" Wow. <laughs> and, uh, that yeah. was pretty sobering. So we uh, went to uh, uh, a restaurant that had uh, basically they called it a cell phone coop, and it was just a, a chicken wire box, and you could throw your cell phones in there during the meal and agree to just engage each other. And then at the end of it, everybody got a free ice cream if you all engaged one another. So that was plenty of incentive well, for me. Cool. You dangle a dessert in front of me, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. That's funny. But, uh, you know, that was a, a great deal to see. And so we liked that so much, we built one ourselves, and we've got it up above our shelf near the dining room table. And we just kind of all instinctively know that that goes in there. And, you know, there isn't a single emergency that can't wait long enough for us to be able to sit around and have a meal together. The you benefits know. just are, are far too great to let that go. You got to you got to fight for it. Though. Well, right. well, okay, and you're talking about fighting. So I think if you invite people to your house, you 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 have the right to ask them to do the same thing, and to say, yeah. you know what, our house is a the dinner time or this fellowship time is a no cell phone zone, and so here's our cell phone coop. We're just you, yeah. you know you can keep your car keys. Um, we're not yeah. asking you to put your keys in. But we need you to yeah. put your phone in because I've been invited to people's houses where every one of the guests is on a cell phone. And and generally speaking, uh, and more because I carry my cell phone in my front pocket. And so uh, depending on what my weight is, that's comfortable <laughs> or not comfortable. So a lot of times I'll just leave my cell phone in the car. And then you're sitting there and you're looking around and you're like, well, I don't have anybody to talk to because everybody's on a cell phone. Yeah. Or or whatever, and and so I think we have to fight for that in, in our own dinner parties and things like that beyond the family. Um, yeah, and, and we all grew up around the same time. So we grew up when there were three channels on television, and you had to have yeah. aluminum foil on the antenna to try to get that, and maybe somebody had to get yeah, and change. We were, we were the remote. Exactly, you had to get and change the channel. So th there wasn't that draw to do anything else in the evening but sit around and maybe listen to a radio show or read or sit around as a family and talk or sit outside. My parents wouldn't run the air conditioner, and I grew up in Houston. <laughs> so you wanted to sit outside. It was a lot cooler there than in the house. But it was yeah. interesting. As I'm going through your book, one of the things I'm drawn to is um, I love my parents, um, but housekeeping wasn't the number one priority. So you might have dishes in the sink because they ran off to go teach school in the morning and they had three kids making a mess and we had dinner. And so, but we would have a constant stream of kids coming through our house because they did youth ministry. So there'd be these college kids all summer long coming into the house all times. They'd get off for lunch and they'd come to our house and make egg salad. And uh, my mom would always say to them, the first time you're a, you're a guest, the second time you're family. And she said, what that means is the first time I'll get you a glass and a plate. After that, you got to get your own meal. And, and she said, if there's a problem with the dishes in the sink, there's the soap, there's the towels, wash them. And yep. it, it just never, it blows my mind that people didn't care that there were piles of paper stacked up to be graded. There was mail that needed to be gone through. There were clothes that needed to be folded and dishes that had to be washed. And yet they came to our house instead of going to their own house, you know, yep. and, and, and I think that's because they felt that wholehearted welcome that you are welcome here whenever and, and for who you are and you welcome us for who we are and the mess that we live in. Um, and so I think my parents really had that gift of hospitality and that sense of making people 
Uh, I remember Thanksgiving was always like uh, some it was a holiday where anybody that didn't have a place to go that was on the school staff with them came here and we would have people saying, you know, this is my 17th Thanksgiving here. I've had more Thanksgiving with you than I have with my own parents, you know? And so, but, but I think we've lost that because as you said, um, well, you didn't say it this way. I'm going to say it this way because we post everything on Facebook. So guy likes to post all the fancy pictures of his house and, uh, <laughs> my, my double wide? Yes. <laughs> I do like to. <laughs> and, and the fancy dinner table and the doilies, as you stated. So then I feel inadequate to invite them over because I don't have uh, a fancy double wide with doilies and, <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? We're always competing now. That's true. And, and yeah. we don't want to. Oh, be... yeah. They'll take a picture of their five course meal and go hashtag no filter and all right. that stuff. You know, like, <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> and so then we're all afraid to bring people into our homes for fear that they're going to. And because we are judgmental, and, and so yep. I'm I'm there too, um, and I try not to. But if I go to your church, you know what I'm doing during the sermon, right? I'm right. I'm judging it. I'm saying, oh, <laughs> I think Rance could do better than that, or oh, I had a busy yeah. week, you know. Well, I'm just teasing, yep. but you, we all do that. Yep. So if I go to someone's mm-hmm. house, I assume they're going to do what I'm going to do if they come to mine, and that's judge me based on, oh, is is his floor perfectly mopped or swept? What about that carpet or What's that smell? You know, those kinds of things. Or, oh, that chicken was a little undercooked or whatever. And right. So, so how do we, what's your recommendation for helping people get past that? Yeah, I think a lot of it is starting off with a little humility yourself. I mean, when was the last time that anybody pulled off a Martha Stewart presentation on anything in life, much less uh, uh, doing anything like that in a, at a meal? And even if you are, you know, a, a five-star chef, uh, and you're doing great with the food, why are you doing it? You know, what is the point? Is it so you can get the great reviews at the end of the meal and say, oh, man, that was fantastic? Or are you doing it because you want to express your love for your neighbor and your care for other people? So it goes ultimately down to motivation of the heart, but also understanding that this is a way to serve people. I mean, how many people haven't even known what it's like to have a sit-down home-cooked meal, whatever that might be, uh, in a world where they're so disconnected from it, just like that youth the other day or last year that talked to me about it, uh, they don't know what to do, and they've never experienced it, and just like you did with your family, it comes down to creating this environment, uh, a lot of times not even saying anything, just modeling that environment. Uh, This is a place where you can be a hot mess, and it's okay, because we are too, Uh, and sometimes just flat out saying so. I did that in the pulpit last uh, uh, Easter Sunday. I said, if you're here as a guest, uh, welcome to our hot mess, because that's what we all are. And without Jesus making the difference, uh, we would all be in a lot of trouble. So we're welcoming you. We're glad to have you here. I had three different people email me afterwards and say, man, I didn't expect that, for one, that you would say that and be that honest. But for another, it really kind of put me at ease because I haven't been here in a few years. Uh, Just being honest about who we are and creating an environment that allows people to be just themselves, uh, I think is a a big deal um, in ways to kind of sow those seeds for that. Uh, I heard from a lady who had read the book and finished, and she said, you know, I had a 20-year class reunion coming up, and I was like, no way. 
you know, I'm going to get judged on my appearance and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And she said, I started reading the book that you wrote, and I thought, you know what? None of them are the same that they were 20 years ago either. <laughs> so maybe I'll just show up. And before you knew it, she ended up with like a whole bunch of girlfriends that were sitting around talking and all the different changes that they'd gone through in their life. And then they ended up going to someone's house and having dinner together. And now they've gotten reconnected. So a lot of it is just being, uh, you know, approaching your expectations in humility and understanding that you know, we're all broken and that we all need each other in order to be able to walk through this life together. And what a blessing that is as Christians to know what the answer to brokenness is and to continue to be able to celebrate that as God's people and especially the people who don't even know what that feels like. To have that solution that makes all the difference on how you do everything in the world. And, and I think as Lutherans, you know, we have a whole different perspective on uh, the dinner table um, from a standpoint of sacramental dinner table as well, where our brokenness uh, and and our broken heart is mended by Christ who is the host and the meal himself for us. And I'm talking about the sacrament of of, of the altar, uh, Holy Communion. But, But isn't it true that that becomes a model for us but, and maybe, but you tell me, you're the expert, you wrote the book. Shouldn't, shouldn't that be a model for us that as Jesus welcomes us in our brokenness um, yeah. to his table, that we then should be inviting people in their brokenness to our own dinner table as part of that, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer says we are Christ. It's not just, I mean, we, yeah. when he says we're the body of Christ, he means uh, you're Christ in the world. As, as yeah. so, so we have that opportunity around our own dinner tables or within our own neighborhoods and communities uh, to model Christ. Then, right? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about Bonhoeffer. Guy was a genius in the way that he understood community and life together. Uh, just so awesome stuff that he would say, like if this community that we're built into in Jesus is so different because a lot of times it's people you have absolutely nothing in common with except for Jesus. Uh, And that's what makes us so awesome uh, in a community setting the way that it is, because it's Jesus who started it. He's the one who brought us together in our brokenness and then heals us and sends us out to go and let others know where the healing is. Uh, That's a great starting point, being sent forth from the sacrament. And that's really the etymology of the word communion. Our common union is really what unites us outside of ourselves, outside of our brokenness, and that's Jesus, and then sending us together in that forgiveness out into the world and dealing with the other brokenness that we find by giving the people the same healing that we've received in who Jesus is. That changes everything on how we welcome one another and our motivations behind it and all the reasons that we want people together uh, because we, we were about relationships. That's what God was about from the very beginning of creation. That's what he was about with Adam and Eve. That's his reason for sending Jesus to restore relationships and bring us in the fellowship again and adding more to the fellowship and hoping to one day be gathered around the throne with people of every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and language. We're giving little previews into this world of brokenness of what hopefully we will see by sight one day through faith. Uh, the realization of an actual restored community again. So absolutely, the sacramental aspect, as uh, 
Lutheran Christians understanding that is such a blessing to see that as something tangible, that Christ is with us and equipping us and sending us out to heal the brokenness of the world through the grace that we've received ourselves and didn't deserve. So what a blessing that is. <laughs> you, you just crushed um, Bruce, the faithful sidekick. Uh, we just finished talking to John Michael Talbot, and he was all set to move into a hermitage. And now you just said that we're uh, kind of designed for relationship, and so now he realizes that he can't, and he has to go back out, out into the world. Uh, no, wait a minute. I would like to just be a friend with myself in the hermitage. I want to heal myself with a wholehearted love. Yeah. Yeah, there's being poured into and then being poured into others. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, you know, it's interesting what you say about being able to take that healing that we receive and, and to share that. Because sometimes people are so afraid that I can't help people understand Jesus and I can't be a witness and I can't be an evangelist. And yet you can open your house up. And, and practice hospitality. And in practice, practicing hospitality, you are, um, pardon my use of this word, you are sort of gospeling people um, yeah. by demonstrating God's love. So when they understand the motivation is not that I can impress you, but that I love yeah. you and I want to be in. So again, in the, in, in the New Testament, meals were more than just they didn't go to restaurants. They, they sat down and you fellowship with people. It was about relationship. If I was at a table with you, we had a relationship, generally speaking. Right. And so it's that opportunity to say, I don't want you to be a nameless, faceless person in my life. I want to know who you are. Yeah. And yeah. who's that's it. And, and think someone as an equal in your community gathered together like that. Yeah. And I, and maybe if I said, I want to tell you about Jesus, you might say no. But if I said, I want you to come to dinner with me and, and, and have dinner at my house, very few people are actually going to say no. I mean, there are some, they're like, oh, he's going to feed us cat food <laughs> or something. But generally yep. speaking, they'll take that invitation. And, and through right. that invitation, you build that relationship, that community, and the opportunity then to go to the next step, which is that invitation to come meet the rest of my community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the thing that we struggle with a little bit in our modern society as Christians is we've been told, you know, go and make disciples. So we think that the moment we meet an unbeliever, what's our primary goal? I need to get a convert them. That's right. Right. (laughs) Uh, And that I'm kind of quoting from David Kinnaman's book on uh, unchristian that we, we look at doing that and immediately they smell a fake. You know, they, they know when an inauthentic relationship is trying to be built. But what if instead we put that part aside and just say to ourselves, you know what, I would like to get to know this person. I'd like to be a friend to this person. And I'll let Jesus figure out what that's going to look like. And I think a, a verse that's really helped me was uh, with Paul saying, you know, I planted Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And I might be just the Paul that's getting to know this person. But they walk away from me going, wow, that Christian, he was half human, and he was you know, fun to be around, and he actually cared about me. And he admitted that he was a hot mess and that he doesn't have it all figured out, but he knows where the, the fixing is, and, and that's pretty neat. And then God sends someone else in their life who's an Apollos who continues to share that and let them be that uh, guiding gospeling, like you said, uh, into their life. 
to where you know God could use that to have them be a part of the Christian faith eventually. But if if it's about me trying to get a notch in the Jesus belt, I've already messed up the relationship that I'm trying to build. And instead, making it just let let's let God figure this out when this is going to happen, and let them show what uh, let me show them what healing and mercy and forgiveness and all of that looks like through the lens of Christ. And just let God figure out what that's going to look like, because that moment will come when they're wanting to know, like you said, why why are you this way? <laughs> why would you care? There's your moment. And that moment may be for an Apollo. It might not be for you, but your job is to show up and be a part of relationing to other people and uh, gospeling, like you said. Now, this is slightly different take on your book because it's not bringing people in, but it's taking the community or that hospitality out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it never dawned on me, but somebody said to me once, they said, just recently, they said, you have a Taco Bell right at the corner of your parking lot. And they said to me, what do you do for the workers of Taco Bell? <laughs> and that long pause was not me just now. That's the pause I gave him. Because, because I didn't have an answer. And he said, why wouldn't you show them that you care about them at Taco Bell? And, and he was talking about just doing gift bags once in a while or uh, seeing if there was something they could use or bringing lunch in for them so they didn't have to eat Taco Bell. Um, but it was the idea of that's someone right there, and you could show them that hospitality by going right to where they work. And, yeah, and that's exactly right. So I think as I was looking through your book, even this idea of hospitality could also be practiced in our own workplaces and, and outside just our dinner tables where we could say, hey, guys, let's all sit together for lunch and just talk and not do our phones or sit at our computers today or whatever that might be or say, hey, let's have a potluck. I know it's only Lutherans that do that. Um, but, but, you know, or say, hey, yep. I've got some jello with – vegetables. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a more up north thing. But <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why, but here it is. Um, but, but I just think we need to think outside the box as far as what hospitality is and where we can practice it. Um, I know you're very specifically reclaiming uh, a table, and, and I think that's important that we reclaim that dinner table. So to, to, to the other one other pastor who listens— um, what would you say that churches can do to help their members feel empowered? And this is going to sound like a ridiculous question, like we need to be empowered, but how can we as churches empower our members to feel that they have the right to reclaim their dinner coaches, a dinner table, whether it's from coaches or homework or television or cell phones? How can we help them? Yeah, that's a, a fantastic question. I think uh, you can do it a couple of different ways. You can do one as a congregation together and seeing how can we bless someone, or you can do it as uh, in the home, uh, starting off, how do you restructure your time as a family? I'll, I'll take the first one, just the big one first, about how you could do that. Um, I heard of a congregation that found the poorest school in their community, and they went to the uh, principal. Now, what happens usually is when a church goes to a principal, they say, we've got all these coats that we would like to give you. You know, we come up with our gift. And and instead, this church did the right thing and said, what do you need? (laughs) 
And by asking that question, it completely changed what they might have done to help. And the principal said, we need a washer and dryer. A lot of these kids wear the same clothes all week long, and they have no clean clothes to go home with on the weekends a lot of time just because of the situations they're in, and that would be super helpful. So then the church said, okay, and they wired in a, a washer and a dryer and hooked all that up and got them set up, and then they just asked the same question, you know, what do you need? And they said, we need tutors. We got people who can't read in our kids' in classrooms, and wouldn't it be great to get some people to go read to them? And that congregation found some grandmas who had the free time, and during the middle of the day, they would go out and read to these kids. And before you know it, they start making connections with the community, and these same families now are finding out who's doing this and showing up at that church, wondering why. Uh, that's one simple way of just trying to bless the people around you as a church family, and maybe even send a message to your members, too, that, you know what, this isn't all that hard. This is a lot easier than I thought it would be, and it gives them a tangible example. Uh, for in the home, I would say the first thing to do is try and have a family meeting and sit down and ask the family, what would show you that you're valued? What, what do you need as a family that you would think would be meaningful together? And the answers might be different from one to the other, but I would think a good start would be to say we need to agree to at least twice a week sit down to dinner together and just make that time to do that. And during that time, rather than having the phones out, throw it in the coop and then say together, what can we do as a family to restructure our lives a little bit to where we have time for each other or make time and schedule it? I think with us, you know, our family, if, it doesn't, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. So for us, you know, we put it down on Google Calendar. My wife and our oldest daughter, they, it's mom and Addison coffee time. They have it penciled in. It's there, and they know that they're going to hold each other to that, and they meet together on a regular basis. It doesn't always involve coffee. Sometimes it's just we're going to take that hour and just sit and visit and get caught up with each other. Maybe it's at the night time when you do night prayers together, making that a part of your regular practice. Building in those rhythms of being around each other and spending time together, it builds foundation for conversation, for prayer together, for supporting one another, and it even helps people, and this has been proven emotionally and psychologically as they go out into the world, uh, to be able to cope with life because they've gotten these conversations built, and then they're going to be able to talk to other people too, and God willing, be able when they grow up to go on and do just like what uh, your parents instilled in you to have that life of welcome and carry that with you going out into it. So it's, a lot of it's just starting the conversation, just being able to have it, and then saying, what can we do differently? And what would be better? And I think I can really lay some good foundations because I've been really pleased to hear some of the different answers that happen. Uh, like one couple um, was just, they usually are on their phones, sitting in the bed with the TV on. And uh, the husband had been reading a little bit of the book, and he turned off the TV and put down his phone, and he said, you know what? turned to his wife and said, I miss you. And that one little statement changed their routine. So now in the evenings, instead of having their phones beside them, they take that time to sit and visit and catch up on their day and talk to each other. And that one connection has changed the way that they uh, relate to each other for the rest of the day. So it's not doing one more thing. It's just doing something differently that you're already doing. Well, that's a, that, those are both great ideas for church communities and for individual communities. And I would tell people, as we're reaching the end of our time, that a great place for them to start is to go to Amazon.com, 
uh, Google up Rants or put in the search the name Rants Settle. Uh, it is the only book that comes up under your name currently. It does say <laughs> lots of ideas in his head, but not on paper yet. Um, and take a look at Wholehearted Welcome. Buy it. You won't be disappointed. And, and maybe you'll gain your family back. Uh, and, and even more, maybe you'll gain another community, uh, a bigger and broader community within your neighborhood, within your workplace, and within your church. So we want to thank you, uh, Reverend Doctor, for being on the show. Uh, we are truly blessed to have you. And yeah, this is one of those times that you know, with COVID and being on uh, you know the shelter in place, what a better time to reevaluate things. That is true. And if people, are you welcome welcoming people to contact you if they have questions or would like to have you come be a speaker? Absolutely. Be glad to. Yeah, How would they get a hold of you? The email's a great way, pastorsettle at log.org. So pastorsettle at log.org is Lamb of God. And I'll be glad to help you in any way I can. All right. So there you have it. If you're having trouble feeling wholehearted and you're part of that brokenhearted world, contact Pastor Settle and he'll get you set straight. I believe that to be true. So all our listeners, thank you and uh, be welcoming this week. Invite someone to your table to share in your community.